Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of the Epiphany. And yes, that that includes each one of us. But we're going to look at a person, a particular person of the Epiphany, taken from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at the portion that we heard read and also some verses before that. People of the Epiphany, the importance of speaking the truth in love. Politically correct. We live in a world that is more and more demanding that we speak politically and be politically correct. And that has nothing to do with who you vote for. Rather, it has to do with the words we say, and I guess the way we say them, so that we offend the fewest people possible by our words. But Jesus had little to do with the political situation in his days. Oh yes, he said that we are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. Indeed, he answered Pilate's question when he was on trial. When Jesus talked, though, most often, he was concerned himself with speaking the truth in love. And there are fewer places in Scripture that show that more clearly than uh, what we find in the Gospel of John very early in Christ's ministry. People of the Epiphany, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Speaking the truth in love from one who truly loves. First, we hear that Jesus was compelled to leave. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but John, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. See, already at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry... There was opposition from the Jewish leaders. Now, whether in this case it was from the Pharisees, now whether out of distrust or jealousy, we don't know. Jesus knew. But Jesus also knew that this was not the time to speak the truth and love to the Pharisees. That would come later. And eventually that would lead to his crucifixion. He was not frightened of them, or just mean politically correct. No, he was compelled to go. Now he had to go through Samaria. The word translated here, had, carries that meaning, it was necessary. It was absolutely necessary that he go through Samaria. I mean, Jesus did nothing without a good reason. And he had a very good reason to go here. Now, for most to go through Samaria was politically incorrect. There are many other routes that you could take. But Jesus never did anything without thought or reason or a plan. He had a purpose, he was on a mission something that the disciples at times would understand, most times didn't. Oh, how important it is, though, for us today. 
to understand Christ's mission and our part in that mission. Very simply, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus loved the world so much that he had to go through Samaria. Long before we had a post office, nothing could, could, could keep Jesus from his appointed task. The task here is to clearly share that he, being true man and true God, is the Savior of the world's people. No matter what the price, or how much ridicule, or how much pain and suffering there would be. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Speaking the truth in love, from one who truly loves to one who is in desperate need. And in this case, it was an unlikely hearer. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Jesus, being truly human, was hot and tired. So he and his disciples found themselves next to a well, a, a well that had a very important part in Israel's history, Jacob's well. Um, most likely, though, a well that any self-respecting Jewish person would not frequent. Why? Well, because of the chance you might run into someone from that, that occupied that land, who were highly despised. And sure enough, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. Now, Jesus did something that might seem a little bold. He approaches and asks a question of a woman who's all alone there, a complete stranger. But in this case, it's more than just a slightly incorrect is a major politically incorrect move. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Do not associate. Do not come near. Maybe politically correct, to stay away, but a complete understatement. Jews would avoid, avoid any contact at all with Samaritans. See, now the Samaritans were the offspring of those people that are left behind by the Assyrians when they completely took over the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. and those who they brought from other lands into their area called Samaria. The thought was if they wouldn't be of all one nation, they would not revolt. Well, the pure Jews, if you will, despised these that they would call half-breeds. Any contact would be avoided at any cost by a self-respecting Jewish person. So what they would do then, 
if you wanted to go to Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, from Judea in the most southern part of Israel, and in between was uh, Samaria, you would travel to the east, go across the Jordan River, go along the Jordan River, and you got up as far as Galilee, and then go west. Much effort to avoid going there. And to drink from a utensil, from a Samaritan lips that touched Samaritan lips, it was disgusting. Not only was it that, it would make them ceremoniously unclean. They could not worship in the temple. They'd have to go through uh, a cleansing process. Unable to worship. How horrible that would be for them. Didn't Jesus know that? Of course he did. Why would he do such a thing? So he could speak the truth in love to an undeserving hearer. We skip down now to the end of our reading. Jesus told her, the Samaritan woman, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus, who knows all, can read hearts and minds, said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the man you are now you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So what we have here is not only a despised Samaritan woman, we have a grossly sinful, despised Samaritan woman living with a man she's not married to. And somehow had five other marriages that, that didn't work out for, for some reason or another. She was indeed a sinner. A sinner who needed a savior. The savior that was talking to her at this very minute, Jesus Christ. Now, before we throw too many stones or, or shake our heads or, or raise our eyebrows, what if Jesus met you at the drinking fountain? You know, what sins would he perhaps confront you with or, or me with? I mean, some that are obvious to a lot of people around, and maybe some of those secret ones that you thought you only knew about. I mean, if he was to call somebody that would show us your sinfulness or my sinfulness, who would he call? Or what sin is there that you know, we think, well, it isn't that big a thing anymore, everyone does it. Would he bring to our attention and share how dangerous that was? I mean, how embarrassed would you be? How embarrassed would I be? Speaking the truth in love to one who truly loves, to those who are in need, in this case, you and me, and amazingly, the sinner in our reading, who was a receptive hearer. A receptive hearer. Now, you might wonder, well, why would she listen to this? Well, once again, pay attention to the way that Jesus approached her. And show that he cared about her. And wanted her to hear the good news of a Savior from the lips of that Savior. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Gentile. And then Jesus answered her. He said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. To which, thinking, she replies, Sir, you have, have nothing to draw water. And the well is deep. I mean, where can you get this living water? Why, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also his, did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered. The conversation goes on. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. Do you hear the interaction? What, what did Jesus do? I mean, how did he prepare this woman to listen to her sinfulness and, and need for a savior? He took the situation at hand that he found themselves in right, and used that, that perceived physical need for water to introduce the spiritual water. He said some things that caught her attention. That Got her curious, like, whoa, what do you, how can this, you know, th that sort of thing? He seemingly showed that he cared about her and cared about her needs and wanted to do something about them. She didn't understand everything he was saying, but she obviously could understand how he said it and got a feeling of why he said it. Jesus didn't come out blazing with anger over her sinful condition and the sinful things that she had willingly chose to do, obviously. It didn't mean that the, the sin was inconsequential. It didn't mean it was not important to Jesus. He was preparing to have an opportunity witness to her, to speak the truth in love, in a loving way, so that when he, he would speak about her sin, she could realize the danger of forfeiting this wonderful gift of God that he was presenting to her. How does God sound to you? I mean, when, when you're confronted with your sin. Do you see God as an angry, vengeful God that's out to get you? Or a loving God that wants to share with you the gifts that he has given through Jesus Christ and wants to take that sin away? Does he speak to you in a caring, loving way? I mean, this woman didn't deserve to have Jesus talk to her. 
She obviously deserved a place, a cell in hell, which unfortunately you and I equally deserve. That's not why Jesus came. For her or for us. He came to speak the truth in love. Think what he was offering her. Water. I mean, living water in, 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 in their uh, culture, this concept of having living water, bubbling water, a spring of bubbling water, rather than to have to go down and, and try to pull water, perhaps 100 feet deep, they think that well may have very well been. Never, never to have to, to pull up water, not physical water, but something even more difficult, right? Not only water to drink, but water to be cleansed by. This drink was offered by Jesus free. Free to her and free to us. But it cost him a lot, didn't it? To offer the forgiveness of sins, he gave up drop after drop of his blood. Suffered on that cross until every single sin of that Samaritan woman was paid for as well as yours and mine. Just think of that wonderful spiritual water that he gave us to drink, if you will, when we were baptized. And how he gives us a, a sip of that, that wonderful life-giving water every time we hear his word or meditate on his word or, or study his word. Every time we expose ourselves to that absolutely powerful, life-giving, life-sustaining word of God how marvelously refreshing it is to come forward and to be able to receive his, his blood and wine in Holy Communion. The Samaritan's woman's immediate reply, Sir, I can see you are a prophet. And the conversation would go on and include the, the people of her town. And it would go on for several days. Do yourself a favor. Open your Bibles up when you get home or sometime in the near future and read the entire chapter 4. What an amazing account of God's love for all people. And when you do that, be prepared to be refreshed like they were. Speaking the truth in love from one who truly loves to those who need to hear. A Samaritan woman and her townspeople? You and me and our townspeople? Last night after uh, the service, I, I, I just was thinking that you know, something's missing from, from the message. You know? and it, just, it, it bothered me, and I was thinking about it during the night, and it, it finally came to me that the realization that it's a part of the calling of a pastor... To lovingly confront those who we know are living in unrepentant sin. And I and the other pastors that have served you have done that over the years. And as I look out over this group of people, there are some here that perhaps I or the other pastors 
have had to come and lovingly call to their attention, like Jesus did to the Samaritan woman. And I know that's not something that we usually name in church. That's going to be kind of an embarrassing thing, I guess. But I figured, well, you know, you're going to be gone a few months, so, you know, to name a name, what harm can that do? You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Um, the name comes to my mind. Um, you know, Carrie Cronenbush. Who more realizes our sinfulness, well, maybe our spouse, huh? No, than, than we ourselves, right? How do you talk to yourself? Do you speak the truth in love when you've done something that you're ashamed of? Do you beat yourself up? Do you not forgive yourself? Because how could you do it? You, a, a, a Christian, a, a young man, a young woman, a father, a mother, been here forever, how long, right? You see how, how unfair that is and how a tool of Satan that can become? God is not angry for me over my sins. Not because my sins do not disgust him, but he took out his anger on Christ and he took out your sins, the anger over your sins on Christ also. So when you're speaking the truth in love, first speak to that one you see in the mirror. And if you need to do it every day and every night, do that. Right? So you can truly taste that refreshing drink of water, spiritual water that Christ is offering you. Receive it, drink it down, enjoy it, grow through it. Be refreshed by it. And then now refreshed. Perhaps there's someone that God has put into your life that needs the drink of that living water that Christ has prepared for them. Someone who is living in unrepentant sin, or living or acting or talking in a way that's endangering their salvation. The loving thing to do is not to be politically correct and ignore it and, and just turn the other way and make happy talk when there are things that God is not happy with. Have you received this living water from Jesus? Perhaps God is wanting you to speak the truth in love, in a caring and loving way. In a way, perhaps, like Jesus did, where there was privacy. The disciples were gone. So it's just between you and, and them and their almighty, loving God. Perhaps the Holy Spirit then will use that opportunity to call them to repentance to change their heart and change their life and change their eternity. Being less worried about being politically correct and more biblically correct, caring, loving, and truthful. Someone may be eternally grateful for you because you offer them a drink of living water. Speaking the truth in love, people of the epiphany. Amen.